Hi, my name is Inoka and thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Colors of Social Media podcast. This episode and all other episodes is about digital marketing and episodes are released weekly and it's always hosted by me. A few things I've covered include content generation for social media pages, social media image sizes, and secrets of email marketing. And I always try to choose relatable topics that will help you as an entrepreneur or as a small business owner. You can listen to me on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode, I'll be talking to PK Wood. And by the time this episode ends, I'm sure you'll learn a thing or two. I'm saying this because PK is a creative consultant and a business strategist with vast experience in digital, experiential, and media. And just like you and me, he is an entrepreneur making things at the House of Wood. At the House of Wood, Mr. Wood will design and build things for you. House of Wood, metal, concrete, and more. But mostly they build things out of wood. Not only did I invite PK on this podcast because of his years of experience, but it is also because of the way he creates his ad campaigns. And that's why our conversation will be about ad campaigns. Here is PK on how to create a winning ad campaign. So PK, once again, thank you for joining me on this episode of Colors of Social Media. As you know, Colors of Social Media podcast is about digital marketing. And I, once in a while, I invite my friends over and we talk about digital marketing. So we started this conversation on Twitter and we were talking about a, lot, a whole lot of stuff. And, but then the one that came, became prominent was about at how uh, individual digital marketers and agencies alike run their campaigns in Ghana. Thank you for having me. Exactly. So I believe the conversation was about attribution and endpoints. Exactly. And about the fact that a lot of times when, when we are running a campaign, mm-hmm. the major problem that we run into is that we think of our campaigns in the wrong sense. So like, for instance, if I'm running a campaign where ideally my thought process should be about sales, mm-hmm we are going to go like what most people do is that rather than thinking about the sales and optimizing everything they do for the sales Mm -hmm. they go out and start buying for awareness as the first thing yeah correct me if i'm wrong that's where our conversation was that's perfect that's perfect exactly that exactly that and uh, the mention of attribution is making me switch my questions because i wanted to ask you attributions later in the conversation but since you've brought it up, let's just start with uh, this. I want you to tell me your understanding of attribution when it comes to uh, digital marketing. So (laughs) this is a generational problem. So attribution is really more of accountability because if you think about it, and me, I'm a big fan personally of first principles. So if you think about it, and this is going to go back a bit in the history of advertising, Right, so let's take it a step. Advertising really, yes. So let's start from before computers. The first mm-hmm. kinds of advertising were really kind of like snake oil salesmen, literally. It was very yeah. difficult to prove that advertising was actually working. Then I'm yeah. going to probably fudge up the dates a bit just for the sake of telling the story. But when we had the 
mad men era and then people like Ogilvy and Co trying to standardize their thinking and process and prove that yes, indeed, marketing did contribute. So for instance, there's a scene in Mad Men that really stands out where um, the title character, I forget his name right now, Don Draper. So yeah. Don Draper goes into this woman's store. I think she's a heiress of a big chain. And then they were thinking about doing a big fancy campaign and stuff. And then he walks in and he's like, all you really need to do is increase the discounts you are given on a particular day and make it into a particular sales drive or something like that. I forgot exactly what it was. But here they were, everybody else was thinking about this big fancy campaign, right? Mm -hmm. Because of course, you need to say that you, the ad agency, were the reason why Yeah. And this, the reason why I took a step back is fundamentally, a lot of digital agencies, if you look at the progression of agencies, first there was people coming up with creative posters and images and stuff. Yes. Then planners came into play. But planners were basically like helping the accounting side of the company be justified in their expenditure, which is where the terms above the line and below the line come from. They actually accounting terms. So a spend that occurs continuously is above the line. So for the longest time when digital marketing came into the scene, it wasn't considered above the line. In fact, in Ghana, it's still considered below the line because you yeah. don't really see how important it is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you have to prove because fundamentally for a company, it's I'm spending X amount of money so I can get X amount of returns, whether it is a brand measure that they have, say brand lift or more people loving the brand, whether it is um, more yeah. sales, whether there's a, they had a perception problem. And yeah. Having the situation where one company can have like five different agencies, a PR firm and a consulting firm, and then they have a sales uh, company also on their account. So the question is, who is driving the business? And that's what attribution essentially is. It's like, who's accountable for the shift? Yeah. Or what things combine? If you think about it in that sense, then the standard attribution measures that a lot of people think of on digital don't really work. You can't say I ran a digital campaign period and that's why the sales went up. What else was happening? Yeah. Are you sure it was your campaign or maybe you were just lucky? Exactly. And And of course, you know, it's like when TV came out and this is really funny. People think that this whole confusion about digital advertising is new. But according to the old hats, when TV came on the scene, there was the same amount of confusion. How yeah. do we treat TV? How do we deal with it? Is it worth it? I mean, sure, a lot of people are watching it, but <laughs> these ads that are running, are they actually working? Can you prove it was an ad? Uh, can't you just get someone to mention a product on TV like they do on radio and it's fine? You know, all of those, how long is too long for a commercial? Yeah. All sorts of fancy things and people advertising things in the wrong time slot, all of that stuff is the same issues we had in digital marketing. And fundamentally, the question is, how do you prove that the money you spent gave you the results you got because of your digital advertising, not because something else happened? Like for instance, imagine if I run a digital campaign for some drink I've imported from Abrotry, and then it turns out that Sebio by accident somebody on date rush happened to be taking the drink and the camera caught it and that's the reason why my sales went up but then because my campaign was running at the same time i attribute it 
to the to the, the success of the campaign. Exactly. That's hmm. not exactly it. Okay. Conversely, <laughs> there's something very interesting that I've seen happening where because people tend not to remember the ads that they've seen because we've been suffocated by ads. When you get a lot people, of them, I did a lot of them, but they won't realize that the ad that they actually saw online is the reason why they went and bought the thing. It's really funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Listening to you, PK, I know you have like vast experience when it comes to running an ad campaign. So I just want to ask you, what do you think we are doing wrong? In this case, is uh, digital marketers or even agencies. What do you think is going on when it comes to attributions? So first things first, we promise things that can't be delivered with digital mm-hmm. marketing. So I remember we talked right after talking about attribution on Twitter. I I brought up this term endpoints. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. that's the appropriate term, but for me, that's fundamentally the best way to look at a campaign. The end like point. The end so if you're a marketer, the end goal, the end point. So on one hand, an end point is sure, this is the end goal you have for the campaign. Mm-hmm. But at what point in time did you arrive you at that? As an, exactly. Do you as an agency or a marketer? So there's a slight variation. So you have an objective, you want to increase sales. That's cool. Then there'll be a digital objective, which may be driving leads, driving people to your inbox or something. But that is determined by how much control and integration you have over the entire marketing campaign. So Mm. to put this in context, for one campaign, I may have access to my client's customer data. Database. And then because of all the fancy things that as an agency or as a marketer, I'm All assuming right. that you don't work in-house at the clients. Okay. So you don't, you may or may not have access to the information. So you as an agency have to be realistic. Without this information, based on everything I know about the platforms, this is the end point for my campaign. From here on out, this is where the company has to step in. So yeah. if I can send people to your inbox, for instance, but That's if it. you as the client, don't have a sales team or a customer response team converting those people you won't get any sales and that's a frank conversation a lot of us need to be having with our clients it's a very difficult conversation to have but it's a very necessary one that this is as far as this wonderful technology can so if i get you right you mean as a digital marketer it's not all the time that you have to you know use sales as the ultimate objective you can decide, you know, you can decide on the objective that you want to go with a particular campaign, right? So kind of, but not entirely. All right. So one of the, so um, let me take this again. So essentially what it is, is assuming that your objective was to increase revenue. Mm -hmm. Yes, then sales can be one of the objectives, but it's not always that it can sell. So for instance, if my product is not available on Jumia, as a digital marketer, I can't prove that the products were bought on Jumia because of the ad. It's going to be very difficult to be, or any other e-commerce site where I can actually track the sale. Mm-hmm. For something like insurance, you still need an agent to do the handle. So it's like I've marketed in a traditional company structure. There's a marketing team and the sales team. 
the marketing team brings leads and potential customers, but then that's it. That's where their job ends. The sales team has to convert those customers into paying customers. But because of e-commerce, a lot of agencies, and of course, because we want to pr- uh, promise everything, including yeah. the kitchen sink, you yeah. see, do everything. <laughs> Meanwhile, this campaign, there is no way, like, there's literally no digital way mm-hmm. to sell the product. Hmm. You, it's like, it's like you built a train, the train is going, it's a high-speed freight train. You yeah. have your ad, it runs, the customer sees it, they engage with it. Okay, what can they do to get the desired points of the advertising? If they can't buy from the ad, how are you going to promise sales? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. If there's no landing page where they can click order and buy, then you're not, you shouldn't even promise sales to begin with. The <laughs> best you can do is promise a lead, which is a contact or a name of a person for them to convert. True, true. Interesting. Okay. Uh, how many uh, ads have you run? Well, before that, just run me through your journey. <laughs> Uh, uh that 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 was a very funny question <laughs> to be very honest i can i can probably only tell you the number of ads i run this month wow uh, which is a lot <laughs> it's a lot um i think in terms of strategies i've built within the last three months i would say easily close to 50. five zero five zero yes wow and yeah, how true. how many of them in your own you know the objectives that you set out how many of them score check the objective that you set out how many so on that's average a, yeah that's it same thing even though i would consider well i've been told not to say i'll consider i am a very good <laughs> digital marketer that's it right I'm a very good marketer <laughs> in the broad sense of things mm-hmm. The reality is that not every single campaign of mine has been a success. There are always externalities, yeah. right? So like classic one I gave right now is that um, you have to hand off part of the process to your client. And That's if it. the client's internal infrastructure is not set up properly, it affects the overall goal. So yes, in terms of the basic digital KPIs, overperform because I've optimized my campaigns beautifully. Mm-hmm. retargeting was so we got all the right people interested in the product but at that key point where it was supposed to convert to revenue there was a gap there or yeah. maybe there was an issue with the creative something delayed all yeah. of those things but generally i gave myself like an 80 plus percent mm. on most accounts in terms of my rating that's fine rating. that's plus. fine and and it is I such was, an impressive score i must say so you didn't get 80 percent that means something went off along the way so yes. can you tell me the lessons that you learned from these failures so that next time you go in hopefully you hit 100 percent all right so i think one of the first things that i'll say it's it's a lesson that keeps coming back to bite which is if you focus too much on your competitors especially in digital marketing you are probably not going to get the results you expect because mm. you can't one unlike tv and radio where you can probably see where your ad where your competitors ads are being placed and with a fair amount of certainty guess the strategy they are doing right and simply just outspend them in most yeah. cases 
mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. much more difficult to do on digital media because it's a closed, it's world gardens. You can't yes, tell you can't see I'm... where I place my ad <laughs> unless I tell you. Exactly. Which makes it 100% purely about strategy and getting the best results for your company. So that's one end. So anytime a strategy comes in and the briefing is blah, 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 respond to competitor, blah, blah, blah. That already puts the strategy on a shaky ground. And then the mm-hmm. second biggest lesson, right, is mm-hmm. any campaign I've run that had too many assets tended not to work well. Wow. Especially considering that we have constrained budgets. I know it sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> when you have too many, it's a problem. When you don't have enough, that's also a problem. What, why is it a problem? Because I know access are access. We all know access. That the more we get access, the more, especially the creatives, and then you know, they can manipulate that campaign. So why is it that when you when you get more assets, it becomes a problem? So this is media. This is deep media stuff. Yeah. So if you have four, think about this. You have four, say, cars in your garage. Mm-hmm. Let me use that as an example. You have four cars in your garage. You happen to be one of the big men that keeps getting talked about. You have four cars in your garage. Yeah. But you only drive cars like twice a week, right? That means everybody in your area has less of a chance to see each of your cars. It will take like, say, four months before they see each of your cars. Either that or fewer people would see each car, thereby creating a specific impression. So let's say you are trying to create the impression that you're a big man. Mm-hmm. And then you have your old Corolla that you really love. Unfortunately, that's the one that people saw a lot. Yeah. They didn't see your two wagon. <laughs> that also happens. I must say, you are really good with analogies, but you continue. (laughs) (laughs) However, if the impression you do want to create, because this is a campaign, of course, the impression you want to create Mm -hmm. is that you have money, you they hold and casa, you drive your wagon and then maybe your Ferrari, and that's all you drive on each of those two days. That's all you drive. Yeah. And make sure that the route that you used to take the G wagon. There's a lot of people on it. Aha. Aha. <laughs> exactly. And that is why it is important to build reach. What a lot of people do when you have a lot of assets is we, we had so many ideas for editorial calendar, for instance. Let's put all these 20 posts in one month. Come on. Mm-hmm. How often are people online? How much mm-hmm. of your audience are you even going to get? Your audience is supposed to be 100,000 people. If you have 24 pieces of content, that means it's 100,000 people Divided by 24, not exact math, but yeah. basically that's what happens. True, true, when yeah, yeah. This is content. 50,000 people. So it means what? Make a stronger impression with fewer content. However, exactly. if you use just the G-Wagon, maybe you will make a stronger impression. So you still need the right amount of content. And it's always about finding that balance. I think wow. a very good a very good rule of thumb is if you take this piece of content out, if you take this asset out, Will it affect the story that's being told? If you need another piece of content for an objective or as part of, say, your funnel, then that's fine. Sometimes you have two audiences, so maybe you want to, you need to split the audience, keeping in mind that the smaller your audience, so if you have, um, say, 18 to 20 year old men, 
and then um 18 to 20 year old women that just shrank your audience down maybe it might be wiser to just push your ads to 18 to 20 year olds period mm, that's because it because there's no child like that in the first yeah. place Interesting. so that's also a factor the assumption has always been that when we say content is king you are going to produce good content because there's only one king on the chessboard mm-hmm. but there's more than one pawn mm. wow wow you are teaching me chess again interesting let's go but but then <laughs> let's go for a quick commercial break when we come back we'll talk about more about chess but then we'll start with an article that you wrote on your on on your website we are coming to the analogy side of you all right <laughs> okay welcome back today we i have with me pk wood and we are talking about art creation Okay, now let's go back to uh, your article. In your article, uh, Peacocks versus Eagles, a uh, uh, trackable goals in an era of vanity, you made a valid argument on the essence of setting trackable goals for your campaigns. Pika, would you care repeating yourself here for our listeners out there? Why that article in the first place? Okay, so <laughs> this is very funny. I think you have to start with the analogy, the peacock versus eagle. I love the way how you compared that to, you know, running an ad campaign. Right. So um, I think that's the analogy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have in their mind that um, eagles are beautiful to look at. They're actually very boring. Out of all of the raptors, they are very boring. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But I think the bald eagles are the most interesting amongst their eagles to look at every other eagle they have maybe the golden eagles are cool but they are usually very straightforward one color it's like other than when they are soaring mm-hmm. right that's Which is, the elegance in them exactly but other than that they are quite boring to look at <laughs> they are not as colorful as yeah. peacock peacock will stretch around all majestic like make a lot of noise mm-hmm. but that's about it yeah. as someone said peacock is an over-decorated chicken mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it came from this whole buzzword that's been around for the longest time since silicon valley 2.0 right. okay, yeah. which is vanity metrics mm-hmm. so like peacocks walk around all puffed up and proud yeah silicon valley loves to do this thing where they talk about the amount of funding they've raised and then you go and check the company and the company literally every amount of money that they've raised has been spent on marketing or growth or something so they have negative metrics negative revenue negative everything but they are worth a billion because they've raised enough money to be worth a billion so it's yeah. vanity it's not really moving the business bottom line we have a lot of that in digital and my personal i have a love-hate relationship with engagement metrics that's my number one yeah. vanity followed by follower counts hmm. first things first <laughs> with me <laughs> with me i'll put follower counts on top of engagement but yeah i think what you're saying to yeah is valid <laughs> yes yeah. so for me the reason why follow uh, follower count follows engagement is People obsessed with engagement and they're obsessed with the wrong engagement metrics. The one engagement metric 
which I think should be priority if you are doing a lot of organic marketing, is your share rates. And yeah. of course, the quality of your shares. If you have oh. a lot of videos, then you should look at the quality of your video views. Hmm. Is it three second views? Are people watching a lot of your video? Those are some of the things you should care about. Beyond that, likes, comments, hmm. it doesn't really add anything. Sometimes people are using, on Twitter especially, sometimes people are trying to use your tweets to get more reach for themselves. So it's not necessarily a metric mm. of how people are responding to your brand. Interesting. Interesting. Shares are powerful because, again, history. Yeah. Twitter and a lot of the earlier platforms which placed an emphasis on identity or creating online personas, people were very careful and still are of just randomly sharing stuff from brands. Even the most annoying personas online still make sure they share things that fit within the image that... Yeah. So you see a lot of people liking tweets, but not sharing. But not retweeting it. Exactly. True. So for a brand, a retweet means that the person liked it enough that they were okay with it showing to their audience, which is great because word of mouth is a powerful tool, whether intentional or not. And or secondly, they actually loved what you put out and they wanted other people to know about it, especially on Facebook. Mm-hmm. One very interesting metric on Facebook, I don't know if it's changed, but on average, Ghanaians, I have to cross check this, but on average, Ghanaians do like two shares a month hmm. when you average out Ghanaians on Facebook. Oh, okay. So like engagement metrics are single digits, none of them rise above five. So likes, comments, shares, on average, on brand pages, it's like less than five for each of those numbers. And shares are almost always the lowest for every yeah. demographic. Yeah. Sliced, sliced. Yeah. For one particular demographic, it was one share month on average. Wow. It was so funny. Yeah. And follower counts, you and I know. Oh. Your followers is not equal to your reach. Right. I think I missed the question. I didn't answer one. Right. Trackable goals. Yes. So for me, the importance of trackable goals is great you have a goal but um it's digital literally yeah. numbers it's in the first part of the way digits numbers yeah digits. You to right and track it you can't give me a goal so this is in an agency context i actually mm. wrote that article yeah you know i'm just going to tell the story i wanted to avoid it so there was a post i think made by one self-styled guru like that talking about how when he posts, he gets lots of engagement, mm-hmm. runs to interact with him, and blah, 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 and it turns oh. into a argument. And it kind of irked me <laughs> because there were a couple of people who were like buying into Klein and Sinker. So I did like, I think, a five, six post thread mm-hmm. about it. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Let me turn it into an article and expand on That's it. the information. Yes. Because I realized that it was very valuable for people. Yeah, yeah. And there were things that I kind of took as like, oh, this should be like the foundations of digital marketing. So correct me if I'm wrong. This particular article expressed it in the context of start with what you want your business to achieve. Figure yeah. out how you can measure it in the t- in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. And it may not. This comes back to the question of endpoints. Okay, so that, yeah. I'm a hairdresser. I want to increase my revenue it may not necessarily be that i can actually book my appointments online because i haven't set up facebook that way or maybe because people prefer to pay cash or whatever yeah but what 
do realize is that after looking at my whole business, what I do realize is that every time a customer recommends someone, I get more business. Anybody mm. that I'm recommended to comes to me. That means my goal now is to get more recommendations. Exactly. So now I start to track that. And mm. I put all my efforts into that. Into that. If exactly. you if you give discount to referral, the referral and the referee, you'll have exactly. to go in all. Exactly. So for every business, it's slightly different, but it should be trackable. That's so it. maybe for one, it's number of referrals. Or I, if I get each person to be able to refer on average two people, I'm fine. For another, it might be a rate. If my referral rate is like, say, 10%, my business is fine. That might be low for another business. Mm. But you need to understand what works for your business. And it's not always the same. So something like this, in that case, sure, you may be running ads, but that's just to let people know. But your main focus, a lot of your efforts... Is to get more referrals. Exactly. And then you track that. It might be a simple Excel sheet. Sometimes it's as simple as... Oh, hey, um, during this period, anybody who buys and refers during, say, Mother's Day gets a 10% discount. discount. Or come with your mom. And you get it. And if you refer, you get an extra discount on your next purchase. Or you get a free X or Y, something that may not necessarily hurt your small business. Yeah, yeah. Those are the trackable goals. For some businesses, they are lucky. They know that once they hit X target, because... So for a lot of alcohol brands and fast-moving consumers, because their distribution network is so good, there's a dirty little secret of big companies. Oh, but they can build the distribution. So that's, I'm talking the cooks, the finances and cooks, mm. the embeds, the diageros, those companies, because they have nil distribution and pricing, they just need to make sure that their awareness levels are above yes. a certain percentage of their target audience. That's and all. they will build this. As long as there's money in the pockets of there, you will get sealed. It's it's a basic phenomenon of human beings. Yeah. We have top of mind awareness issues. So like the last thing or the most, the highest floating thing in our mind, essentially, the thing that we trust the most, that kind of, it's not a straight cut thing, but the thing that we trust the most, that kind of comes to our mind first. It's what we go for. It's the reason why Pepsi Dent and Close Up enjoy so much. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. With all the McLean's and Cola, yeah. those are top of mind. So literally, without even thinking, that's literally what draws you to the toothpaste out. Why I can see Close Up? Why I can see Pepsi Dent? Okay, so toothpaste. Then we grab it. that. Interesting. So it, it, it's literally how marketing is. I'm sure like very deep marketing people might challenge me on some yeah. technical. But that's literally what it is to the layman. Mm. We have a lot of things. I think, and one other thing, one other reason why I wrote the article in Simple Analogy is like, quite frankly, the average human being has so many things to worry about hmm. that <laughs> you can't really expect them to remember all these technical details. No. It's really simple. You have no. a goal. What is the best way you can measure that goal? Is it a percentage? Is it a number? Which of those two makes sense? And you track that. Then you later improve you may on discover it. that something else. Exactly. Later you may discover that there's another measure or measurements that you can also track in addition. And you find ways to make that number increase. So you find a number that when it increases, you make more money. And then 
you make sure that that number goes up. It's very simple. Hmm. It's very simple. I think that's a second reason. Back to your earlier question about something a lot of agencies get caught up in. They get caught up in either too much thinking or too little thinking. So the too much thinking is all these fancy strategies and stuff, and then they miss the very obvious things. Hmm. I would have shared a story, but unfortunately, it's still covered by confidentiality. Oh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but like, yeah, that happens a lot. We yeah. miss the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest, whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know if you've already answered it, but I want to know if you've already answered, just said it was this, but then I want to know if you see uh, Peacock style as running in Ghana, do you see any of them running? Have you seen, don't mention any, any company? I'm not going to mention brands. I can't afford to. <laughs> the number yeah. of brands I work with or I work with, I can't afford to mention brands. Uh-huh. But there are lots. Mm-hmm. There are lots. In fact, if you have a lot of money to spend, you can kind of get away with running Peacock style ads. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if like one of the aforementioned FMCG brands decides to run an ad because they want to grow their fans. They are building reach. As long as they are getting a lot of reach and they have a lot of money to spend, it still contributes back to their sales. What will happen though is they may incorrectly attribute the fan growth to the sales. To the sales. Exactly. So from what you are saying, what I can get from this is that if you're a small business, just look at your own in-house, how you you got your fair sale, fair sale and you build on that. Don't exactly. just be looking at these big corporations and big businesses because exactly. one, they have a lot of money to spend. So they don't exactly. care, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the other things I do, and this is funny for me because that's literally the second reason why I wrote that article, right? <laughs> so you see a lot of brands, hmm, Right. Shout out to Facebook. So Facebook in 2013 started making a pivot from engagement. Yeah. Some people may not be, have been old enough to like consciously remember this, but at a point in time, Facebook pages were literally fan pages, oh, yeah. which was like a ripoff of my spaces pages. Mm. To say it wasn't a ripoff, but it was. And then yeah. the, the whole emphasis was on engagement, you know, engage with your mm. fans and Fans. Oh yeah, that language people were just stuff. posting funny stuff just just exactly. to get the comments going. Exactly, and then and then um, Facebook kind of thought that they had it. This is conjecture, but generally, and you can tell some of these things from the hiring pattern at Facebook. Somewhere between 2013 and 2015, I believe Facebook started making the shift towards being a media company. Yeah. And they started to hire lots more media and advertising people. Initially, they thought they could disrupt the agency and work without, like, the agency industry and work without advertising agencies. Mm. But then they are literally invented a platform yeah. that's within an existing industry. You can try reinventing, but if you created something that is like other things, you basically need people who understand the thing. Yeah. So they hired lots of agency people and made the full pivot to media. Reach, reach became more important 
all of those metrics because the platform was growing. It was, yeah. it had crossed billions, you know, they needed to make it worthwhile for advertisers. So all of a sudden people saw engagement no longer making sense. So now you can't, when you are buying for engagement, it's literally a reach. Yeah. Anyone on Facebook will see it. In 2015, you could still buy for engagements. Hmm. But now you can't. And unfortunately, that mindset is still stuck in a lot of people's minds. You know that thing where you play catch up to a platform and where yeah. a lot of the things still stuck in like the old language and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of people still have that engagement mindset. Yes, and it is still a there. lot of the bigger companies still think like that. Yeah. Facebook has spent a lot of money telling people that, yeah, we were wrong. Of course, without saying, yeah, we were wrong. Yeah, yeah, we were wrong. The engagement isn't as important as reach and connecting with the right people, which anybody who was worth insulting media knew all along. Connect with the right people, with the right contacts, and you get your goals. Unfortunately, what a lot of people do, and this is where the story gets interesting, what a lot of people do is, um, um, to put this in context, I want to create an e-commerce store because I've seen that a lot of mummies um, need mummy products in Ghana. Mm. No problem, go ahead. But then I go and look at what Amazon is doing on their store and copy everything. Amazon got there because of their own unique story, their own yeah. unique customer profiles and a whole their lot of personas and all that. Exactly. Don't copy everything Amazon does. Copy some things, like, I mean, steal with pride if you can. If it's legal, steal it with pride. If of it's course. not, don't even go near it. But also be aware that you are not Amazon. You are not Coke. You are not <laughs> and or that brand. And do things the right way. You don't have to make the same mistakes they made. And that's what a lot of us do. You are not the big commercial brand. Do what works for you. Start with your own customers. Engage with them. And I think that's something... See, the big companies spend so much money on research just so that they can get that same connection with their customer base as a small company enjoys. Some of them will literally go like, you know what, you're not going to de- develop a new product in this category. We're just going to buy somebody who already has the product and grow it with our money because it's too much work. Yeah, yeah. So when you have your own business, look at the business. Like you rightly said, how you got your first few sales, your first five, 10 sales, talk to those customers, find out what they loved about the products. Keep talking to them, going back to them, understanding, like looking at your numbers, and you have an advantage when you're a small business. You can quickly change your direction. Big companies don't have that advantage. Nah, nah. And for me, small businesses in Ghana is kind of like a little passion I have because Charlie, we'll be here now and then we've been colonized digitally and we even realize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, big thank you, thank you. Uh, listening to your last point, eh? I just got this very important question. I want you to tell us your inspiration, especially when it comes to running us, where, you know, the point is when it comes to creative, where do you get your ideas from? Is it, you know, the environment? Me, for instance, I usually learn from folks in the States because I try as much as possible not to learn from brands in Ghana, but I don't know about you. Maybe if you learn from the brands in Ghana so that I'll just follow your lead. So tell me your inspirations. 
So for me, I'm very agnostic, right? And one of the things, I, so to, taking it back a bit, I think I should probably answer a question that we kind of glossed over in the beginning. Oh, okay. So my background, my journey kind of starts in design. I mean, I did do a little bit of coding and hmm. software development way back before it became a thing. Way back. This is a combination. <laughs> yes. Then I entered into creative full head on. So like, so this was in the days of Macromedia Flash <laughs> when C Sharp had just become a thing. It's like very long ago. Yeah. Then I switched fully into creative. So that's like editing videos, shooting videos, graphic design, that kind of thing. <laughs> and of course, as an extension of that marketing and a lot of the design that I was interested in was more to do with like user interfaces product design, mm. like how people interact with things, spaces and stuff like that. And of course, brand design and marketing. Yeah. And a key driving force in that had always been the psychology of people. Why do people do things? What makes people tick? So it's like, I was always trying to, in a way, look for the laziest way out. I can't yeah. waste my time doing a shiny design only for it not to work. So how quickly can I turn out a design that has exactly what's needed on it to do exactly what's needed? And that's no like basically- fancy, like, fancy, yeah, that's fancy basic. Skills. Yes, I mean, it. the design still did look shiny and all that, but it's like, yeah. do I have the basic things necessary? Some would say design by the numbers, but not really. It uh-huh. still had soul and passion in it. But it's like, if it doesn't have the call to action, if it's a poster and it doesn't have the dates in a certain size that's easy to read from x distance you know those basics it's like how will people interact with the thing yeah. and that's along the journey i quickly stumbled upon human-centered design and i was like oh so this is the kind of philosophy i've been using all along putting <laughs> the people at the center right so that's why i said i'm kind of agnostic i'm not necessarily yeah. looking at Oh, it's from the West, it's from the mm. East. And one thing I always do, again, because human-centered design and first principles, I always quickly check cultural difference. Any kind of data information I'm presented with, I have to remove the bias from the data real quick. Mm. Who's to, to benefit from the data? So every single, and yes, I know I'll be crucified from this, but every single report that comes from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or whoever, I always take it with a grain of salt because it's your platform. Of course, you give me growing statistics. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of if course. I get a report from the West, I have to take out the cultural implications of the Westerners, you know, hmm. their political landscape. If I look at the data and I see that there were a lot of younger people involved, then I have to balance it in my mind that, okay, maybe the younger people in America behave a different way from the older generation. You know, if it's coming from the East, they may be a little bit more conservative, yeah. but closer to what our culture is like, you know? And I think one of interesting thing is that there are a lot of cultural similarities between Latin America and certain Africa. parts of Southeast Asia and Africa. Yeah. And then the yeah. Indies I've and Africa. That too. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of times when I'm looking for culturally moving campaigns. That's where you look at. Exactly. Because mm. those are more culturally similar. But even then, with a grain of salt, <laughs> because it's always like, will the person who the thing is intended for respond to it, or will this get me an award? 
Yeah, yeah. The creative industry would think it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's human-centered first principles, yeah. and then always kind of like removing the bias for data, bias, culture, and yes, bias, cultural bias, data bias, and I try not to let data control me yeah. too much, but I always like to start with the data because. With all this data available, it's very, very some way to go purely of guesses. And sometimes you look at the data and like your gut to tell you that the data is being interpreted wrongly by everyone else. And that's one of the things that I'm known for our ask app, but the data is showing, but the graph doesn't look complete. Mm-hmm. There's a meeting that I was in once, and this is a very funny story. Of course, I can't mention the company. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> I'm looking at the graph for a while, and I'm like, this graph that I'm being presented looks off. Because for people who know data and statistics way more than I do, when you see certain kind of graphs, you realize that you're only looking at part of the graph. It looks like mm. part of a bell curve. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the left side of the graph was not touching the axis. Mm. So it was part of a graph and the data was being represented in logarithmic scale. Mm, yeah, I've seen it that. It like a beautiful, constant growth curve. I was like, mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I see what what they did over there. <laughs> exactly. So for anyone who really knows data, you know that they just made everything look beautiful in there. So like when I asked for the actual data, I was so scared. Because <laughs> if I had gone purely off the graph, oh my gosh. <laughs> Like yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of our job. That's the beauty of our job. Pick it one more thing, and I always ask my guests this question: What do you like about our job? Yeah, I'd say for me, and that's actually the last question. So you just take your time. (laughs) So for me, I think generally I love like cutting edge stuff like cutting edge stuff in terms of like automation mm-hmm. and things like that i think one of the biggest driving forces for me one of the reasons why i still stick around in the marketing space even though it can be one of the most annoying oh, spaces out yeah. there there's a lot of ego flying around oh yeah everybody's an expert man an expert. i've decided not to call myself an expert <laughs> It's purely for the reason that one, it's very difficult to be an expert in a field that has so many subfields. I once asked somebody at Facebook a question about the algorithm and they couldn't answer concretely. They said, they are only sure about this much. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, I think one of the things that keeps me going in this, like in the general space, I mean, I'm thinking of changing my direction a bit, but it's understanding. Like I say, it's about understanding what motivates people, what drives people. One of the things that I'd really be interested to see, I mean, the prospects are scary at the same time, very intriguing. Mm-hmm. The ability to shift perceptions on such a large scale, like, yeah, the psychology yeah. of people in such a large scale. A lot of people would argue that advertising doesn't affect them, but then, just be honest, a lot of our childhood perceptions are driven by the advertising we watch as kids. True, but we don't Maybe. even realize it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I picked up a pack of Ribena, was it? And I remember having such a warm feeling towards it. 
And I'm like, wait, why? Is it because I watch cartoons or something related to it? Whereas I know it has nothing to do with cartoons. But the fact that the first Tribina ads I saw were portrayed as cartoons. And as a kid, yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing. And I'm an adult. The adult me was like, oh my God. Yeah. Did I really fall for that? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I know what it was. Sure, granted, some of the things they said about it were true and all that. But at the same time, the emotive feelings and connections I had were communication. And I think fundamentally, as eloquent as I might appear on this podcast, one of the things that I think I struggle with and a lot of people do struggle with is effectively communicating what we intend and what we want from others. And the fact that advertising basically forces you to go over and over again. Exactly. That's the beauty. So you can get that exactly so you can yeah. get that intent you communicated that thing you want people to do like the best adverts move people to do great yeah. things mm. some of the best advertising campaigns or the best campaigns communication campaigns actually we're not really for big brands i mean something like the ice bucket challenge um <laughs> this uh josh thing yeah, Tens Josh versus Josh. The Josh, <laughs> Josh fights. Turns out that the entire thing, all the money was being donated to a children's hospital. And the kid wow. who won, it was like Make-A-Wish Foundation on steroids. The kid who won is a beneficiary ah. of that exact thing. So I'm like, hmm. wait, was the whole thing staged just to drive charity for this? You, you know? And you see, fundamentally, I think I've written an article on this. Hmm. Advertising and communication provides the tools and it enables great good. By the same time, it enables great evil. And for me, it's how much good can we extract out of this? And what are the best ways of doing it in the most ethical ways possible? That's what drives me in this field. It's like the best tools, bringing experiences that people have never experienced before, pushing humanity. I know it sounds very lofty, but it's possible. It is. It is. It just needs the right height, the right hearts yeah. and the right minds yeah. behind it. And I really just want to see how far I can go. So that's what drives me behind this. All right. I mean, our, our industry is one of the ever-changing industries in the world. With tools, we are using tools that we have no control of. But yeah, it's one of the coolest industries also. Piki, thank you so much for coming on this episode. Thank you too for having me. This has been a very great experience. Again, I just want to thank PK Wood for coming on this episode. And I also want to thank you for listening through to the end of the episode. If you love what you heard, share it with your network. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button, the follow button, or whatever button on your podcast app, which helps you to get more episodes of your favorite podcast and you'll never regret. My name is Enoch Robot Boy Appear Jr. And this has been an episode of Colors of Social Media Podcast. See you again, same time, next week.